Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, everybody. Patrick Connor here, and welcome back to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. I'm here with my buddy, Bryn Jonathan Butler, who, of course, as you all probably know by now, author, filmmaker, all around good dude. We're here to talk some boxing history and whatnot. How's it going, man? Pretty good. I mean, this this required a lot of digging to find information about it. It's pretty it's up obscure. there. Fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've we've kind of gone through with a number of fights, a uh, number of events, and rescored them, relived them, given a little bit of background. These are fights that don't really require so much background, so we're probably not going to spend a lot of time with that. You know, just some basic stuff. But the trilogy, that epic and, of course, unforgettable trilogy between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, uh, you know, spanning 1971 to 1975, three fights hundreds of millions of people watching live too not i mean forget about the replays but watching as it happened absolutely incredible stuff so like i said we don't need a ton of background here but a good trilogy very good yeah and you know i i kept thinking about this this word i found several years ago it was like the major focus of russian literature ostrenony and it's looking at an old thing from from with new eyes and for me, I, this is arguably 41 of the most famous rounds in the history of the sport. Uh, best trilogy ever. Every great trilogy is compared to it. Um, you know, the fight of the century, and it surpasses expectations. I mean, if you bill a fight as the fight of the century, and it wildly surpasses it, and yet that wasn't even the best fight of the trilogy. I don't even think it was close to the best fight of the trilogy. So... It was so interesting just to go back. I hadn't seen any of these three fights in their entirety, let alone back to back to back. We talked a little bit before we started this, um, expecting there could be an element of like a chore to to this to some degree because we've seen so much, so many references to this, and it wasn't like it was fascinating. All three of the fights were fascinating, and I didn't expect. The scoring that I arrived at, I'm really curious to see where you did. And I just found it it drove home. There's a there's a quote that Larry Holmes makes in a great HBO documentary about the thrill in Manila. And he just says, Ali was a fantastic fighter, but it has to be said, overrated. He has <laughs> just been overrated. The myth has taken over who he actually was. And who is Larry Holmes to make this accusation? It's not just the fight they had in 1980. It's that he was a regular sparring partner for him going into the George Foreman fight. He knew Ali. And it's something that I think I'd like to get into with this is I kind of think both guys historically have become more myth than who they actually were in substance, which doesn't take away how fantastic they both are. But in watching these fights, you were I was aware a lot more of the limitations of both guys in terms of pitting them against some of the, the great fighters that came afterwards. 
So that was interesting to watch and, and just interesting to see how these fights have taken shape and changed in the mythology from what they actually are in substance. So, so yeah, there's just so much here to play with. For sure. And, and this is not to say that it shouldn't be discussed at all because I mean, we're here discussing it and I love doing it and it's fun. Um, but I do think that there is a little bit of danger when it comes to, especially when you're adding hindsight and decades of hindsight into the equation with some of these like classic, you know, unforgettable legendary epic fights and whatnot. Um, there's a little bit of a danger of, and you can arrive here to analyzing old fighters records where you almost get to a point where everybody sucks. <laughs> like nobody's any good. You know, you could tear apart any resume. And then especially when you actually start watching the fights and, and in my opinion, one of the big reasons for this, not to shit on any of the old writers because they, you know, were standing on the shoulders of giants and whatnot. But at the same time, uh, I think that there's this tendency with boxing to really slap the flowery shit on there, to really artsy it up, make it poetic, um, make it something far more epic than it usually actually is in reality. And I think that that can get like that permeates the brain when we're talking about a lot of these kind of classic figures. And so then when you actually go watch the fight and like, you know, you read 20 articles or books or whatever about the about the first Frazier Ali fight. And you're like, oh, my God. Oh, this is just craziest. And then you watch it and you're like, wow, you know, this is a little sloppier. And I thought it would be <laughs> like, I thought there, I thought there'd be something else here. But that's not to say it's not great because fant absolutely fantastic fight. But it, but my point being just that I think that uh, there's a tendency to represent it as something that it maybe isn't quite. And like you said, it it gets mythologized. It gets kind of you know we we allow ourselves to get sucked into the dream a little bit. Well, we're we're designed to do it as human beings. You know, if right. if Jesus came back. How confident are the 1.2 billion Christians that he'd be thrilled with what's been done in his name? I don't know. Um, Hercules was probably a real guy back in Greece who could do some amazing shit. And yeah, he like broke a stone one time or something, yeah. and people were like, "Oh shit!" Who knows? I mean, the Olympics I think were founded for him. I think he was like like in the first first ever Olympics, uh, and also competed to get on on. Um, jason's crew of the argonauts and that sort of thing but there probably was a real guy that was just so amazing that people began to tell stories and he grows and grows and grows and this kind of thing happens and i just think it's sort of like one of my favorite painters is caravaggio and the brilliant insight he made in in trying to make propaganda for the church was you're going to have a way more powerful effect if instead of making people look like gods in, in biblical depictions, make gods look like people, and people will connect to it that much more powerfully. Make the people that, that Jesus was interacting with look like people you'd see on the street. So he would recruit um, prostitutes for women that he would depict who were, uh, there was some some women who died in the Bible, he would go to the morgue and actually depict them and stuff. And this made him resonate with people so much more powerfully. I bring this up because when you watch Ali and Frazier in this fight, they're so much more human than they've been built up to be. And it doesn't detract from how fantastic they are. 
and their magnificent accomplishments. And I, I, you know, we talked earlier about Ali, like, oh, has he, he been overrated? It's not that he's overrated in terms of his accomplishments. It's that I think his accomplishments are that much more because you see some of his limitations and you see them in, in this fight exactly. in microcosm where you're like, fuck, this guy could not punch. And I've heard some people say, oh, look at him with Zora Foley just before. He's hitting Zora Foley with 900 punches cleanly. And Foley's, you know, his head's going around, but yeah, and it might be punctuated by that one shot, but it's going ding, 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 right. you know, before that. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with him being a sharp puncher, but not a powerful puncher. It's just don't pretend he was both. And Joe Frazier, when you watch him, his entire strategy in this, his stamina is incredible, his determination, his will, his skill level, he is one-tenth of the skill level of Mike Tyson in terms of avoiding punches, creating angles, um, like a whole array of facets. This idea that if we look at what Frazier did to Ali, that's that would be way better than what Tyson could do. Ali could totally dominate Tyson. No, in every way, Tyson is a bigger, faster, more effective, defensive, pressure counterpuncher version of, of Joe Whereas Joe is coming in slugging and he has incredible condition and willpower, but he has absolutely no right hand. He doesn't create, I think, a single angle in 41 rounds against Ali to throw a punch. All Tyson did was create angles to land his knockout, like his highlight reel of knockouts. If you watch almost all of them, it's not brute force. It's not George Foreman. It's, it's his technique. It's, it's his footwork. And most people are watching up here, watch the man's feet, because that's what changes as he slows down. So I, I was just kind of amazed. And again, it sort of amplified my appreciation of, of Joe Frazier. It's like, this is a guy who's about my size. So he's 200 pounds and five foot 10 fighting these giants. And overall, he did spectacularly well, but it's not because he was an athletic phenomenon. Whereas, you know, in Ali, you see... Some of the cracks, but it also, I think, amplifies the incredible chin, the willpower, his ability to solve problems, to adjust, um, you know, and, and the, the lead up to the fight, the psychological warfare that he was doing, which I think we're going to get into because it's disgusting in a lot of ways. Was it effective? Probably as well. So it's sort of like with Floyd or a lot of other fighters where we nitpick over what they're doing before you get into the ring. How much can they win the fight before they get into the ring? Is that where the fight should be fought? Well, in all historical war, it was. <laughs> so I don't know why you'd exclude that from your toolkit, but it's, there are just a lot of facets to this fight to get into. Yeah. And speaking of which, so, I mean, we don't need to go through the details and the ins and outs on how we got here, but going through just kind of like the, okay, so in 1940, no, I'm just kidding. In the backwoods of Louisville. No, um, long story short is that we know that Muhammad Ali seemed kind of destined for greatness. 1960 gold medalist at light heavyweight came up through the ranks, but not without a, a whole host of shaky moments, actually. And I think that's, that's kind of a portion of the Ali mythos that a lot of people forget is that on the way up in his first, you know, maybe 
dozen and a half, maybe 20 or so uh, pro fights. He had a number of fights that either were really difficult and a handful of fights where people thought he was very fortunate to get the decision, which is a big part of the reason why people were annoyed by him yelling that he was going to beat up Liston and didn't think it was going to happen, blah, blah, blah. So we know all that type of stuff. And when Ali gets ousted and excommunicated from boxing for refusing to be drafted and refusing to go to Vietnam, um, that is definitely a massive, massive part of the aura surrounding Ali. And I mean, there's a lot of hindsight here. Like I said earlier, there's a lot of benefit of hindsight, but also we have a lot of bias, even watching the fights, knowing what's going to happen. And, you know, I, I was kind of questioning myself the entire time thinking like, am I scoring this way? Because I know what the outcome is like, what am I, am I doing this correctly? I mean, Mm. I didn't change anything, but regardless, um, there's a lot of hindsight here. And so, Knowing, uh, you know, everything about what Ali had gone through, everything about him kind of bucking the system and becoming a a hero to many and then kind of a a bit of a villain to many others, um, you know, that definitely created a schism in the... I don't want to use too many college words here. I was going to say zeitgeist. (laughs) Basically, it split people, especially in the U.S., where uh, you basically were representing certain ideals if you supported one fighter over the other. When Joe Frazier, also a gold medalist, and also kind of had his own story behind him, came up himself and wound up winning the New York State Athletic Commission heavyweight title when Ali was deposed, uh, there definitely seemed to be a bit of a two groups, one against the other, kind of thing which adds to this story and adds to the way you view it no question yeah and i mean our guy joe needs to be pointed out (laughs) replica trunks not actual ones from this fight (laughs) um but joe deserves a tremendous amount of credit in the lead into this fight because what you're talking about is absolutely right this was tremendously divisive fight it was the biggest fight ever arguably the greatest the, the most attention-grabbing global sporting event ever. I don't even think it's much of a debate. I mean, it's just so massive. It almost is difficult to grasp because these days we're like, oh, you know, like a a million and a half people watched it. That's crazy. And we're like, No, I mean, (laughs) trilogy, I mean, one of these fights, the thrill in Manila, some estimates are it had a billion people watching at a time where there were 4 billion people on earth. So one in four people- Think of another event that generates this kind of interest. I mean, even the Mayweather-Pacquiao thing, which which I covered, I was I was in there, you know, I, twelve rows behind the action or something. Um, I have a gigapan of that where you could just go through and look at the faces of everybody who was in it. Showtime gave it to me. I can't release it, but I but I have it, and it, it made me think like this is the most important seating plan. Important in the sense of notable people. I, I, I'm not assigning that value, but I mean, you could argue it's the most important seating plan of the 21st century in a way that the Titanic was for the 20th century. It, it is just everybody who is everybody in entertainment, comedy, film, music, politics, finance is in the same room where some tickets are going for $375,000 for a seat for an event that was fucking terrible. That was the worst fight I've ever seen where you had a buildup 
that is as close as I think we've ever had to what this was, except everything in this, the moment the bell sounded, as is pretty typical with Floyd fights, he is the most exciting fighter until the bell rings. And then suddenly it was, oh, it's just letting the air out of a balloon. This fight delivered on all of that promise. And uh, and and so you saw this buildup of intensity going forward. But I mean, I just began this by wanting to say, as much as there was division in terms of who was the white man's champion, who was the legitimate African-American champion, the way Ali played with that, that Frazier was a white, a white champion, a white guy's champion. Um, and he's constantly later on going to insult him for having stereotypical African-American features. He's pressing his nose down. He's saying he's stupid. Um, Frazier, as a child, was doing labor in the South. He, you know, he was a sharecropper. Ali never worked a day in his life. This is from a documentary that was made other than boxing, which is nothing wrong with that. But he was very much a middle class kid. His bike gets stolen and goes into a gym wanting to beat the guy up. But it was Frazier who had the lived experience that Ali was appropriating and was trying to play up about what he represented. And in the lead up, while, while Ali had had all his money stolen with his association with the Nation of Islam, robbing him blind, feeding him a lot of his most famous lines that he uttered, I never had a quarrel with the Viet, Viet Cong, no Viet Cong ever called me the N-word. Those are not his quotes. He was a puppet for people in the Nation of Islam to say those quotes. Doesn't mean he didn't believe it, but he, he, he was popularizing those quotes. He wasn't, they weren't originating with him. Um, after he had no money, uh, and he also had a, a huge apparatus of white people with the was it the Louisville group? Is that yes. right? Yes, that supported him just as Frazier did. So they Cloverlay, yeah, yeah, Cloverlay. So that that same dynamic. Mm -hmm. But Frazier is a white guy's champion. But Ali having only white people in his group, that's okay. Um, Frazier was somebody that fiercely petitioned on his behalf to be reinstated to fight. He lent him money. He was vocal in his support of Ali at every opportunity publicly when you had a huge amount of the country against what Ali was doing in terms of not, not wanting to fight in, in Vietnam on the basis of a religious exemption. So Frazier put in so much of his capital as, as heavyweight champion to invest into Ali, to the justice of what Ali stood for. Ali repaid that by, the mo by calling him an Uncle Tom by undermining his reputation as uh, being from where he was from with that lived experience. So this is a side to Ali. He definitely became something else. As he quieted down, he became more of a blank canvas for, as you were saying, writers and other people to put to project onto him what they wanted. But Ali gleefully uh, bragged about meeting with the Ku Klux Klan. He was pro-segregation. His views and treatment of women was pretty disgusting. There was a recent book that came out by Jonathan Eig that alleged that he hit women. So there's a lot to Ali that because he's so fucking likable and lovable that we kind of go, eh, you know, okay. It's very similar to John Lennon, openly bragged about hitting women, serially, not just one woman, multiple women that he was hitting it almost never gets brought up as part of his legacy and and so i just think we need to keep that in mind with where ali was at that time it doesn't mean he didn't evolve out of it because he did but at that time he was not above pretty horrendous treatment of a lot of people around him including repaying joe, joe frazier's 
generosity and moral courage by undermining him in the most filthy, underhanded, disgraceful way that he possibly could to gain his own advantage in this fight. And later on, he's not even going to apologize to him personally. He's going to apologize to Marvis Frazier, Joe's son, who was getting serially bullied specifically because of the words that Ali was trumpeting that were untrue about him. <clears throat> so it's, it's, I don't know, it's a thing that I'm a little sensitive to. I love Ali, but I do think it's important to, to keep him in perspective as a real person. Um, as much as you want to credit him for, for being the secular saint and his moral courage, when his best friend spoke the truth about the nation of Islam and Elijah Muhammad, what did Ali do when he found out it was true? said he deserves to die. He signed, he co-signed on what the nation of Islam ultimately did with assassinating him. He apologized about it later. He said it was, I think, his biggest regret in life. But when it counted, that's where Ali was in a number of ways outside of the ring. In the ring, I think it's infallible courage and and he's he's tremendous. But outside of the ring, there was a, a lot of room for growth. And I think we do ourselves a disservice not to acknowledge the human being that was there, that was present at that at, at the time that we're covering. This is almost five years yeah. that we're covering, <laughs> but this was a pretty complicated, contradictory challenging character that now has been simplified into this you know like we do with nelson mandela you know oh nelson mandela is a hero we were pro-apartheid as a country you know like like cuba was pro um mandela when he got out he said fidel castro inspired me to do this like unfortunately we weren't on the right side of that one but now nobody really cares anymore but <laughs> you know like we're we're uh we very much cherry pick some details of of what the actual historical record is that just just reassure us and make us feel better. I think a lot of the time that is the case, yeah. And you know, uh, as much as I'm not, I'm not like a massive Oliver Stone fan, but something stuck with me from that movie Platoon when I was way younger. There's this scene where Charlie, like these Charlie Sheen's talking to some fellow grunts, and he and they're digging a foxhole or some shit like that. And they're like, what the, why are you here? What the fuck are you here for? And you're some rich kid. What, what are you doing? And he said, well, I didn't think it was fair. You know, everybody else had to go fight in Vietnam. And why, why do I get to get out of it? And the guy replies, man, it takes a fucking rich white kid to think that way in the first place. Mm. And it's kind of like, obviously needless to say, neither Ollie nor Frazier are white, but in terms of the relative privilege. And I also realize the potential folly here and me not being necessarily the correct person to have a fucking all-encompassing, uh, you know, view on this. Nonetheless, when we're talking about where they come from and where they, you know, purport to come from, Ali and Frazier, that is, um, you know, Ali spends a lot of time thinking about injustices and spends a lot of time thinking about how he needs to right this wrong, especially right wrongs that have been done to him or perceived you know he perceived wrongs that had been done to him and many of them in in many cases they were wrong but and it's not that joe frazier is not conscious of many of these things but he's so busy just fucking doing other shit he's so busy being pressed on by life that he's not being a fucking injustice warrior the way that ali is and so i mean to say the relative privilege of coming from a place where you can fight those fights or whatever, where Joe Frazier was not really ever in that place. 
And so representing it that way on Ali's part was, it was dirty. It was definitely really dirty. Well, and, and, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I mean, one of the most famous incidents you were talking earlier about, these guys are both Olympic, Olympic champions, is Ali lost his Olympic gold medal and told a tremendous story that got headlines all over the country about not being able to get served in a diner. And so in protest, he threw away the medal. Tom Hauser confronted him about that when he did his biography and said, I want you to swear to Allah that that's true. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it because it wasn't true. He lost it. He lost it somewhere, came up with a story that resonates, again, brilliant at shaping a myth. But the myth is, is completely not true. But he ties himself in by putting him as a center to a story that absolutely is true and makes it sound heroic and this great sacrifice. Complete bullshit. Complete bullshit. So if you combine his ability to bullshit with how much was actually there that was legitimately inspiring and amazing and thrilling and infuriating, you get why he is, him or Babe Ruth is the most important athlete of the 20th century. Yeah, and and it, I've said this before about other other situations and other people, but it's, it's almost a case of uh, lies telling you about uh, as much about a person as telling the truth. You know, you you might not be saying the truth to me, but that also tells me about you, you know, the fact that you're not telling the truth to me. So, you know, definitely, I think that one of the things that you said is really key to remember that Ali was a complex character, a complicated character, and trying to boil him down to a fucking tweet, you know what I mean, is not, it doesn't work. And it also is, um, <clears throat> it does him a disservice as a human being, because, you know, it, it's not true. It's just not true that he was he was just a hero or just a villain. He was a lot of these things, no question. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of writers that were covering him at this time, some of them could be, you know, we were talking earlier about Mark Cram writing a great book called Ghosts. Was it Ghosts in Manila? Yeah, Ghosts of Manila, yeah. Fabulous book. I mean, so interesting. Now, is it the definitive record about it? Maybe he's there. He wrote arguably the, the greatest deadline piece ever. I think Lodi Lodi, he's great. Um, <clears throat> about the aftermath of, of that fight where he combines, you know, kind of as we're doing, there's like a split screen of both of them as a result of that horrendous fight in terms of the impact on both men. Um, but a lot of other writers, especially very pro-Ali people, Tom Hauser reviewed that as um nasty and, and based a lot on grudges and was very dismissive now hauser has a vested interest in doing that because a lot of people would argue his book completely glorifies ali and is relatively dismissive of a lot of the criticisms of ali i've uh, heard the term hagiography used a couple times yeah and and in you know the seven eight years that i've known hauser as as a friend who i see fairly frequently I would say, like, I've pushed him on that stuff, too, because uh, I can't stand the hagiography of Ali because I like him as a complex character. I don't want him to lose these rough edges because I think then we lose our rough edges. If everything had, if everybody has to be perfect, um, there, there's an element with Ali where, I mean, a, a great documentary, The Thrill of Manila, one from HBO, talks about Ali retires with nothing from his boxing career and signs a deal where I think he gave up 90% of the, 
of his name for $55 million. Uh, but, but he retired with nothing. Like he was another real cautionary tale of these athletes that have made so much money that he was robbed blind. Like he didn't show a lot of courage in standing up to what the nation of Islam was doing to him. He, you know, there's, a, I think a lot more overlap than we're comfortable with, with sort of Tyson and, and Ali, not just the losing the three years, but, um, you know, I think we see them as opposites, but there's a lot more overlap between the two of them in many respects and what they represented in, in their times in different ways. So, so yeah, I, I love, I love getting as many different accounts of both of these guys as you can. Uh, Cram's son did a biography, uh, Mark, Mark Cram Jr. about Joe Frazier. It's fantastic, highly recommended, but I mean, I don't think there's anything that you shouldn't read about these guys, like gain complexity of who they were and what they did, because these three fights, you know, as we we're saying earlier, if these happened thousand years ago, this would become Troy. <laughs> this would become something bigger than life because, <clears throat> because they they actually lived up to it. And and the way the three come together as a triptych is really interesting because I, I think it it kind of batters our preconceptions about who these two guys are, about how they get shaped up from people telling us about them or seeing clips. Uh, because a lot of my scoring in this, I was really shocked about how dominant Frazier was in the first fight and how unbelievably dominant Ali was in the second fight. And we all, uh, there's been a lot of people who have accounted for that in the second fight. Oh, Ali could put his, put his neck down. I went into it thinking that. And by the end of it, I was like, I don't think it played that major a role. I just think his Ali's conditioning was better. He had a different strategy. He was able to execute that strategy. He just dominated him and kicked his ass and almost knocked him out in the second round. Maybe knocked him down. I should say the referee jumps in 20 seconds early, which was kind of shocking to see like Joe was so dismissive of Ali's power, but uh, Ali rocked him, rocked him with one punch and a referee making an error really kind of changed, I think, the trajectory of that fight, potentially. So, yeah, there, there's so much, so much to go into. I mean, I, I have quite a, quite a, a list of material to delve into. Yeah, let me, I, I can tell you real quick. Tools, word count. Yeah, 5,000 words in my notes. I'm not going to read them all, needless to no, say. No, 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 nor am I, nor am I. But it's, but yeah, there was... Uh, so we opened up by by saying uh, we were expecting something a little bit different. I was expecting this to be like a slog. I was expecting to be like, oh, fuck, dude. You know, three minutes per round, you got 15, 12, and then 14, 41 rounds. Dude, that's over two hours. This is going to be rough. It really wasn't. It wasn't that bad at all. And and there were a lot of times, a lot of rounds where it was a hell of a lot of fun, actually. Um, and it was a lot of fun kind of reliving a lot of this shit. Again, real quick note, as far as the first fight, just the first fight, over 300 million people watched the first fight live. There were about 3 billion people on the planet, a little over 3 billion people on the planet at the time. Yowza, that's fucking crazy. So, um, oh, and another thing you were talking about too, as far as like people attending Mayweather Pacquiao, some of the ringside photos are awesome from that night. The people wearing their outfits and shit like that. It's fucking crazy, dude. Crazy. 1971 New York was some wild shit. I'm telling you that right now is awesome. 
So we got Don Dunphy on the call in the in the uh, version that I watched. Thank goodness, Don Dunphy's a fucking Love. A, illumination. He's great. Um, but you know, he says hundreds of millions of people around the world are watching, and I was sitting there thinking, like, this is one of the few times where somebody could say that, and it's not an exaggeration. You're actually kind of like maybe even downplaying a little bit. But um, you know, Fraser, as you said earlier, there's no mistake. There's no mystery toward what he's going to do in there. And that almost makes it all the more impressive what he's doing. You know, he comes in boring low in the first round of the first fight. And it's just like, you know, dip, dip, dip all over the place, almost in an exaggerated way, you know, to the point where you almost start getting like a little worried about him sometimes the way that he dips low. But, um, you know, he wastes really no time getting right at Ali in that first fight. And from there, it's like the action doesn't really let up a whole lot, pretty much the entire way. Yeah. And, and, and for those who don't know, both of these guys are undefeated. So there was a lot that was unprecedented about this. It's the biggest fight ever. It's the most anticipated, publicized sporting event ever going into it. And the atmosphere, I mean, Hauser, I asked him, who's been to a million fights, what, what are the best three fights you've ever been to? And he just said, Ali Frazier won, Ali Frazier won, Ali Frazier won. Nothing is close, close to what this was, even before the bell rung. And then it was better than any of us dreamt. They're both undefeated. Frazier's 27 years old. Ali's 29. So they're in their prime, but Ali's prime has been changed by these three years off. Ali clearly could gain weight very easily in between fights. He, he I don't know if it was a diet issue. If you look at, like, he comes from people that seem to be able to gain weight pretty easily, um, genetically, I mean. But I just mean, like, this was not a guy... When he talks about his diet, like going into the Olympics to try to gain weight, this is not how you would try to gain weight today in, in like a healthy way. So, and I've also heard he was, I find this very endearing, the most obsessive person about ice cream. Ice cream. Yeah. Just he loved, loved ice, like ice cream. loved, loved ice cream. Loved ice cream. So Ali is six foot three. Frazier's listed as five eleven and a half. I don't think there's a way in hell that Frazier was 5'11 and a half. He's closer to about 5'10, yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I met him when I was about 18 or 19. He came to Vancouver. You know, it's one of those things where like, hey, Joe, we'll give you five grand to fly fly to Canada. And, and so I saw him and uh, yeah, no, he he did not look to be 5'11. Frazier's 205 and a half, and a half pounds. That's that's what he that's what this guy was like. I mean, that's what fighters were like in this day. You know, and this and this was a part of the, that George Foreman said. I, I was sh my knees were shaking before I got into the ring with him. Ali's six three. He's two fifteen. Ali has an eighty inch reach. That well, that's what I saw. I've seen it eighty two inches other places, but eighty inch reach. Frazier seventy three inch reach. Pretty larger larger than I would have thought. Like a fair bit larger than. Tyson, I think Marciano had the the littlest reach of any heavyweight champion. I think he was 69 inches, but also a smaller guy, 185 pounds. Nice. Yeah. Um, you mentioned 300 million viewers as a global estimate. Apparently, in uh, adjusting for inflation, $300 million gross for this fight. I mean, just fucking bonkers when you think about what what like pacquiao mayweather did like it's you know without social media right right yeah that right kind of thing and, and a whole apparatus that's evolved to to be able to cash in 
this thing didn't need any of that. It just was so it was such a golden goose for everybody involved. And um, and I noticed, I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, but when they announced both fighters, I think that Frazier got a slightly louder ovation than Ali, which I thought was fascinating. It was far more split than you might think, especially given the whole hindsight thing, to hear so many cheers for Joe Frazier. Like, um, I mean, I think we're just I, we're just programmed, you know, <laughs> we're programmed to Ali, Ali, you know, some shit. But there were a lot of cheers for Joe Frazier. And you could hear him, too, from like the commentator, like ringside Mike, like people behind him and stuff like that. Come on, Joe. You know, so it was uh, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, why shall we just get into the first yeah, round? Sure. <clears throat> because. I thought it was really interesting uh, I think Ali's wife at the time said that Ali just didn't train that well for this fight. And I think you notice it in the second fight that Ali looks like he's five years younger in the second fight. Like he looks it yeah. and he acts like it compared to this fight. I don't know if he just thought his physical advantages would just outdo Joe, that maybe Joe was overrated or whatever. But it's one of the fascinating things about this fight is when you look at how they did against other people, Ali looked terrible against Ken Norton, always struggled a great, a great deal with him. Frazier would have lost a million out of a million fights with Foreman. And Ali even pointed out, like, if I fight Foreman, I'm going to beat him every single time. And Joe will never be like, so the way that these guys fit with each other, but the way that these two men fit together, their chemistry is what sets this apart. I mean, I mean, in a way it's like Gaddy, ward does anybody really care about any other fight that ward had beyond with gaddy not really like a you know, gritty gritty fighter and great liver shot and that kind of thing but their chemistry surpassed where they were in the sport by m more than i think any other fight that i can think of you know like so, to such a degree that gaddy's in the hall of fame when does he really deserve it like it, it meritocratically Ooh. People are going to be in the comments about that one. Oh, I love Gaddy. No, don't get me wrong. I'm with you, but it, but yeah, it's that's definitely a divisive issue for a lot of people. I, I well, I just mean, I, I and this is what I like about boxing is is it's sort of like scoring scoring each round. We're not wrong. Totally if you have differences, and the same th is true with Gaddy. Gaddy's one of my all time favorite fighters. Top top three fighters, uh, Canadian, obviously. So I mean, there's that. <laughs> yeah, well, he's got to be a good guy. <laughs> uh, um, but in terms of what he looked like against Mayweather, what he looked like against Oscar, what he looked like against Angel Man Freddy, you don't look at those fights and go, clearly this guy's in the Hall of Fame. Clearly, like, you know, but in terms of generating fight of the years, yeah, I get it. I get it big time. Like the most, maybe the most exciting fighter of all time in terms of what he could do. Um, was he an elite fighter, even in his era, yeah, then, then we're in a different place kind of thing. So I thought it was interesting. Ali becomes out very active. Both of these guys show up when it's the biggest day of their lives in a way that's so inspiring to see because you just think like part of the great fun of watching an American Idol or X Fighter or, or, or X Factor is you get your opportunity. And when you step on stage, you don't even know how to sing beyond a, a little whimper. You know, because maybe I'll protect myself if I do this. These men show up roaring with intensity. This is where they're meant to be in the world. And and that itself is just thrilling to watch. Ali's active. I thought he had a really good output. I, th I thought he 
is in control of Frazier and then Frazier lands a hook and you go, woo, Frazier almost never throws a right hand in, in all of these 41 rounds. Like his right hand has so little commitment, which is just weird to think that a guy who was heavyweight champion doesn't have anything approaching a, a threat of a right hand. It's just an interesting feature with Frazier. Um, but then Frazier lands another left hook. Maybe he just doesn't need it. Ali starts this, this process of shaking his head every time Frazier seems to sort of stun him or land something important. Um, the last half, uh, Frazier's hook just can't not land. He just has it really like dialed in of, of and again, you're, you're saying he's this little guy who's kind of bobbing down, bobbing down, bobbing down. But the way that he's timing himself to get through whatever Allie is putting to keep him off and to control distance, you can see it's going to be a threat to Ali. Ali registers it like, I don't really know how to handle this. And I don't know that if I'm in, I don't know if I'm in condition to handle this long term, even short term. I don't know what to do um, other than holding. And Ali is going to hold a lot in these three fights. I don't think for, Frazier initiates holding more than a few times. Ali, we're talking hundreds of times. Yeah. It, it's a controversial aspect of how he, he fought Frazier and how the referees adjudicated these fights. Um, but I gave Frazier a narrow round because I just thought he was landing the better punches, mm -hmm. which is my own arbitrary measurement. Yep. I agree. I, th I think that he was landing uh, the more eye-catching shots, but also the more effective shots. We've talked about this before with our scoring <clears throat> and how we score stuff. I'll be very brief, I swear, but it definitely is a subjective thing. It's definitely something where you kind of, you know, you're having to measure it with your eyes. You, have to, you don't really know. But for me, a lot of it is like, you know, it, not only is a punch landing, you don't know how hard it's landing. Really, the only way you can tell how hard it's landing is visibly what is it doing to the guy that it's, or the fighter, I should say, that it just landed on. Is there any visible effect? Is it affecting their game plan at all? Did it force them to step back? Is it forcing them to reassess anything? Did they, ugh, you know, something like whatever. So uh, I think those things that are obviously spur of the moment kind of things but that's kind of what i look for a lot of the time when looking to judge a, a given round and one thing ollie was doing frazier up and down up and down not so much side to side not so much like a you know this type of movement just up and down and ollie what he kept doing was and it was a mistake was shooting straight one two one two one two one yeah. two and he definitely changed that in the second and third fights. And those are that's one thing that I thought was really key with his strategy. Uh, he was doing a good job with his jab. And he was even landing a couple of hooks, too, like sweeps a couple of nice hooks. But the thing is that I don't know if they just didn't train for it. I don't know if they didn't watch video. I don't know what happened. But you see this repeatedly, especially in the first fight. Ollie looking to grab. And he and it's almost like he's just forgetting this angle right here. And he just keeps getting pop, yeah, pop with the fucking hook from the same angle right over the top, right over his glove, because he goes to reach out for Frazier. And you see it over and over again. And he in in a number of times that he probably isn't getting hurt, but the way that it's snapping his head back, and then and then he draws further attention to it by going to the crowd it's like no now you now it looks like you're getting smacked and but he was getting smacked so i thought that that was a fraser round too for sure um close but a fraser round because he landed the harder shots and definitely landed the more like dramatic shots um 
but needless to say, like you start getting into a little bit of a pattern. Uh, and like you said earlier, too, that you were a little bit shocked at how dominant Fraser seemed to be. Now, a number of these rounds were somewhat close, and it wasn't like Ollie was doing nothing. But there was a definite like current of Fraser was like Ollie couldn't stop him. He couldn't prevent him from coming in. There was nothing he could do, and he was fighting totally flat-footed. He wasn't really up on his toes. He wasn't moving around. Uh, and I think that it has a little bit to do with how he was training, the layoff, the fact that he was, you know, coming off a, a significant layoff. And then during that time, he was probably gaining weight, not training like he should have, et cetera. And that showed because he fought flat footed. He fought it out in the trenches with Frazier far more than he should have. And on top of that, Frazier was making him. Um, and so this is the emergence of that pattern. It was a good first round and a close first round, but Frazier starts to really physically push himself onto Ali, you know, in the next few rounds, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think I, another thing in these three three fights is Ali's conditioning is something he's a little concerned with, which I didn't remember so much because we criticize the likes of like Joshua now and we give credit or, or Deontay Wilder. Like these guys are gassed after a round or two and you can see when they're throwing flurries they're nervous about it ooh like like there could there could be some real consequence if i don't put this guy away i i'm just too big in terms of what i what i must be drawing from my resources cardiovascularly uh ali kind of had that issue too he knew that joe frazier is never going to stop frazier is inhuman in terms of his conditioning very very sort of rocky marciano too you watch marciano more than anything and like fuck his power and and brutality and all of that his conditioning it's, is it's just there's are. constantly gloves being shoved in your face yeah. and you're being pushed and pulled and it's like oh my god get this fucking guy off me yeah he's you just know? coming and coming and coming and with fraser I, I mean also his left hook he throws a left hook in a really weird way he throws it to me it's like i i had it in my notes it's like a catapult, but a catapult is going vertical. His is horizontal. It comes back here like he's winding up way the fuck back here and then just whiplashes it where he's totally out of position after he throws it. Like his follow through, it's like you're, you're, you teach, you're taught to throw a punch where you expect to miss. So you're not, why do you need to go further if the guy's chin is here? Frazier finishes over here with almost all of his hooks. And it's the only thing he's really trying to land uh, above body, like in, yeah. other than body shots. Even the, sorry to interrupt you, but even the great statue that they finally gave him uh, in Philadelphia is him at the end of the hook going like this. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you know, it, which is great because it's so Fraser, but yeah, for sure. But it's interesting. I mean, if you, if you just juxtapose it with Tyson, Tyson was always trying to land two or three or four punches after that, after throwing a yeah, hook. Yeah, so it was about the tightness and like the, you know, the yeah. crispness of the shot. Yeah, and and also utilizing where, if your weight shifts to the other foot, how I can then find a new position and an angle. Frazier doesn't give a fuck about any of that. Frazier's never trying, like if you, I promise you, if you watch all 41 rounds of this fight, he is never ever even considering trying to find a new angle to throw some it's forward i am coming through you 
I'm going to drive you into the ropes or drive you into a corner and then just never stop. That is not how Tyson fought at all as a pressure counterpuncher. So I find it fascinating that the two get compared all the time. It's a lazy comparison. It like Frazier is like a pickup truck and, and Tyson is a Ferrari or like a helicopter or something to something so much more agile in terms of like what their strategy is. And it doesn't detract from what makes Frazier so exciting. As you say, the fact that he's limited, it becomes like Jaws or some kind of horror movie where something is never, it's an undead thing that will never stop pursuing you. Terminator 2 or something like that. And and yet in the second round, you see Ali is contending with, this is the best opponent that I've ever fought. I'm not in the greatest of condition to deal with it. What does Ali do in response? He wins the next round. He's more active. These hooks keep getting in and he's not finding an answer for it. But Ali follows up with a vicious one-two after taking a horrible hook. Again, like the character of Ali, like we're saying about with Marciano, just the will, determination, and conditioning. It's the character of Ali in the ring where you just go, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like this with any other fighter ever. And he happens to be this six foot three, incredibly charismatic and all the other things he has. Um, just like you're going to see as he slows down and he also has probably the best chin ever. Um, it, it's just fascinating. That's how these, exactly what this know. fight turns into is basically yes. a showcase of his chin, you know? Yeah. And so Ali in this fight, the most famous guy for dancing around as a big man doesn't move at all. In the second round. He's, he's really flat-footed, yeah. Yeah, but he is throwing a really interesting selection of punches. He's opening up because he is trying to find a skeleton key to unravel this menacing presence that's in front of him that is fucking pissed off and wants to take him out. And um, Fraser begins to open up a body attack. And that's where Frazier, you hear his punching power because the sound that it begins to make, you're going to hear that in all 41 rounds of, of this trilogy. That's where you're going to start to believe that Ali is pissing blood, that organs are fucked up. Um, that's where Frazier, I think, did more damage than even what he 100%. did. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Mean, and especially in the third fight. But, but you are seeing the elements of, of Ali taking this kind of punishment. Again, a testament to how tough Ali is. Yeah, Ali is facing almost organ failure um, in some of these fights in the, in the aftermath. And Frazier being willing to deliver this punishment is going to spend a month in the hospital after this first fight, which Ali is going to mock him for. Uh, but it tells you what kind of willpower and determination Frazier has as well like these shots he's taking yeah they don't look like as much because ali is a sharp puncher but he doesn't seem to want to get much weight behind his punches he just i guess he just never really trained that way or didn't need to because he can land so many punches and just break people down um but my god he lands so many clean shots against frazier and yeah. they just don't really do anything almost ever he he sat down. I noticed uh, one right hand in round two, so I gave Frazier round two. But I noted that it was close and largely on the strength of a really hard right hand that Ali landed. And in round two and in round three, I noted that Ali was really sitting down on a number of his shots. Like I mean, normally he's a little bit more concerned with the speed and the return. You know, uh, bringing his gloves back and making sure you know. Um, 
uh, overwhelming with speed, I should say. And he was really, there were a number of instances in round two or three where he was like sitting down and he was like, I really want to try to hurt him. Like, I want to see if I can hurt him. And he was sitting down and landed a number of those shots. But the way that number one, Frazier's got a hard head. Number two, he's, he's moving and he's kind of bobbing with him a little bit. And so he, that takes a little bit of the mustard off of some of those shots. Um, but yeah, I noticed that Ollie was really, he was really going for it in a, in a couple of these rounds. So I scored the second for Frazier, but noted that it was, it was damn close. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in round three, they opened up with a very good exchange. Like in round three, I said, Oh, this is starting to get fun pretty quick. And Frazier again, walked into a really hard right hand. And then immediately after delivered a hook. It was like, you know, it became a, a, a pattern where uh, Ollie just for whatever reason, whether it was in the clinch, he couldn't see the hook coming over the top. And then from a distance, he kept walking back into the hook, which becomes a major issue in the 15th round. But, you know, he he keeps walking back into this hook after uh, trying to throw these right hands and not bringing them back it, like he's too flat footed. He's not moving around. He's not doing what he would normally, you know, I think do. And I think that speaks to what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Round two, I, I gave it to Ali. Again, I totally agree with you. Close, close round. Third round begins like a car crash. The way they come together, they're sprinting to get out into each other. Um, and the first thing you kind of notice is Ali's athleticism is clearly diminished. It, it, it's not just uh, the first, the first couple rounds. No, this, this is who he is. What, what you you have to believe your eyes that this this really is him, uh, the the exile has has changed him into something different, and the question is does he recognize it? Is he willing to make adjustments to who to to some of his limitations? And, or can and, he? Or can or can he? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But he's no longer as fluid. The punches look more labored. This is one of the most beautiful specimen that boxing has ever had athletically. And now he looks a little looks a little different. You start to appreciate him more um, for other things: his determination, his intelligence, the way he's improvising. Rod Steiger, an Oscar winner, said, "If you watched him against Foreman, how he was able to adjust to that, you'd say this is the greatest improvisational actor that has ever lived." Well, Ali doesn't have a take two if it fucks up, and he's willing to take that risk. So that's another way to appreciate who this guy is. Um, and just his willpower is is so incredible in the in this third round. And Frazier is throwing his left hook at this point. I had it like he looks like a, a, a cowboy on a horse with a lasso. He's just swinging it over, over to get him. And he is still cat, catching him. And I thought Frazier might have hurt Ali at the end of the round. If he hadn't hurt him, uh, Ali's fatigue dealing with that hook is also affecting him. You can see he looks a little uncomfortable and he's no longer really able to sort of shake it off, shake his head or, or um, be that actor to try to present that I'm doing fine. Frazier's getting to him and he's getting to, he's definitely wearing on him um, in, in just in terms of his psychically. So I thought Frazier took the third round, getting into the fourth. Frazier is applying more pressure. He's pouring on. Frazier, we haven't mentioned this, is a notoriously slow starter. But by the fourth round, him pouring it on, and you can see Ali is yeah, thinking. He's in full. He's going. Yeah, I don't necessarily have another gear. So, Joe, could you, eh, you know, maybe not. 
Um, the commentators keep referring to the punishment that Joe is enduring, um, but all of the punches that Ali is landing, for the most part, are arm punches. Joe, Joe is not really facing a whole body behind the punches. Ali is flicking stuff. And again, they're sharp. But um, I had that Ali started off pretty active, but was just dramatically slowing down in ways that were very concerning. And late in the round, Joe lands another of these whiplash left hooks. And Ali's defense, I mean, this is a weird feature about Ali, is his defense is terrible. He doesn't have a defensive plan. He backs up. He leans back. But other than that, like, there's no shoulder roll. There's no footwork to avoid punches. It's like this idea that, that Ali would have totally dominated Tyson. I don't see it because his defense, I don't think, would have been able to deal with somebody whose hand speed and foot speed is what Tyson's were. But it's weird to see this Ali, who's still pretty young, but getting hit by stuff where it's it's not even that he's getting hit. It's just that there doesn't seem to ever be a concern for defense other than I have a fucking amazing chin. I, 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 he's doing yeah. a lot of, he's committing some cardinal sins, you know, leaning back with his hands down. Teddy Atlas would be shitting himself right now on Friday night fights. You know, he probably is anyway, just because he's Teddy Atlas. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> No, but you know, it's, I, I agree. Um, it, like I said earlier, it starts to become a bit of a showcase of Ali's chin and his determination and, and to some degree stamina too, even though he doesn't look super great in a lot of instances in this first fight, but, um, but yeah, you know, Frazier round three, obviously I gave that to him, although I did note again, it was a somewhat close round, but that Frazier, he starts coming on late in almost all of these rounds. He's, uh, you know, pressing Ali and Ali's clinching at the bell, basically. And same thing with uh, round four, where Ali, I thought, did a very good job. He, uh, he about in the first half of the round, was doing fairly well, but then just kind of fizzled out, and Frazier took over. He was like, oh, you're going to stop punching? You're going to try clinch me? No problem. And on top of that, Arthur Mercanti, while I don't, I'm not, I don't want to mythologize any fucking referees, bro. <laughs> That's not what we're here for. For what, for whatever reason, they still wind up getting put into this like celebrity category and shit like that. However, I, and so I'm, I'm against that, but I will say with Arthur Mercanti, he did a pretty good job in this fight. I thought it was kind of dumb that he kept telling Ollie to stop talking. Who gives a fuck if anybody's talking? Yeah, what at is that? But, but as far as how he handled the actual action, I thought he did a pretty good job. Ollie's clinching was there, but not excessive. And he was mostly, you know, making sure that he was not draping his arm all over Frazier's neck or shoulders. So, uh, you know, the problem was that Ollie still was clinching, especially toward the latter part of most of these rounds. He was kind of, you could tell, he didn't have the energy for it. He couldn't sustain that action. Almost nobody can. But no. the problem was Frazier could. <laughs> Frazier kept coming. And so, you know, I obviously scored uh, the fourth for Frazier too. And then all of a sudden in round five, Ollie comes out and he's moving, you know, four rounds in and in the start of round five. And it's like, oh, there's Ollie. <laughs> he's moving his feet. And so he's moving, he's jabbing a little bit. It looks like Frazier is either not quite, not quite taking a round off, but he's like, oh, now I got to actually catch up with this guy. Fuck. And so he's not as good at cutting off the ring. He's not as good at, you know, cornering a fighter. It's just, he just pursues them until they can't run away anymore. And so Ali actually had a little bit of, a little bit of motor in this round. 
yeah, I'm, you're right. Ali comes out on his toes and you're like, oh yeah, that guy. I remember him. Uh, I, I've missed him. But Frazier stalks him very effectively and has even more energy. The gear, again, has gone up. And you can see Ali is landing mid-round uh, some shots. He's really trying to open up to, to not give courage to Joe that this is going to pay off, that, that you, you're controlling the fight, ultimately. And <clears throat> Frazier's response, I think, really unnerves Ali is he begins to smile. Because yeah, this he starts is clowning him. He starts clowning him. And you can see Ali's sort of like, no, 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 I'm supposed to clown you. I'm bigger than you. I'm faster than you. I, all the stuff he said in the pre-fight. But you can see that Frazier is aware Ali can't hurt him. And it's just a matter of time before I get you, is the feeling. There's a, there's just a sense of it, like it, it gets floated in that round, in the fifth round, where we're in a pressure cooker. And how much energy does Ali have to get out of the way of what's coming at him? He's on train tracks and he can only go backward. And this thing is coming forward and it's a matter of time. You can, you can feel it. Now, maybe that's all hindsight and the baggage we carry, knowing that the only knockout that's going to happen in these three fights is on the way. But you can see Frazier has it in his eye. I'm going to catch you. And when I catch you, you're going to fall because yeah. that's what happens when I land my left hook. What he didn't expect is, what we're going to get into is that you're going to get up in three seconds, which is what makes Ali Ali. So, yeah, I thought fifth round Ali's on his toes because it's fucking Ali. He wins the round because I just thought he just did enough to do it and was able to keep Frazier off of him. And I think also just Frazier's pretty parochial attack is I, I, I will cut, I will press forward. So <laughs> A really yeah. interesting moment in the fight, though, because I also scored it for Ali, but it's almost like you can see Ali's winning the round, but that that fucked him up like that, that like, you know, he might have won the round, but he he clearly got the message that like Frazier's just like, and. Yeah. And what? Well, there, there's an analogy to cross country running that I think is kind of interesting that it's similar to boxing in, in the sense of. I'm going to try to run at a pace and make it look like this is my pace comfortably that you can't run. I've got a sense of the pace you want to run, but I'm going to make you run my pace and I'm going to fucking break you as we do it because you can't run the whole race at this pace. And I'm going to make you think that I can, even if I can't. And you can see that that is an aspect of what Frazier is doing to Ali is you're not going to be able to control the tempo of this fight. It's my fight. Ultimately, it's my fight and you have to fight it. And can you can you fight it? Because I'm going to keep stepping up. You know I'm a slow starter. So it's only going to get worse. And if you thought me stepping it up in the, the fourth round is my final gear, I've got another one. So I hope you're not getting tired. And this is exactly what Ali yeah. did. Oh, you thought you were doing something in that round. Right. And, and so he comes out the sixth and he goes, no. And this is exactly what Ali was able to do against not a Joe Frazier, but to do it against Foreman is there's a point where after four rounds or something of just getting battered against the ropes, Ali just whispered to him, I hope you're not getting tired. I hope you're not getting, well, that's exactly what pierced the armor for, for Foreman because he really was getting tired. And we, we I think everybody there was just like, he's such a favorite. He could just keep doing this forever. But he thought for a second, oh, this is part of the, I've been, I thought I was fighting my fight. I'm fighting his fight. And I didn't even know it for five rounds. 
So I think there's an element with Frazier smiling because it's uncharacteristic. I don't think he went in there and said, I'm going to intimidate him. He's not performative that way. Whereas Ali is, Ali has all these other layers. So the fact that out that the fact that Frazier is being encouraged by what he's seeing after five rounds with Ali is really not the impression that Ali wanted to leave with Joe Frazier in the fifth round. So yeah, you're right. Ali in the fifth round, I think is doing everything he can to reassert himself, but I think he's also where I can't keep doing this. And I think Joe can keep doing this. So it's kind of a downhill moment. It is a bit of a crucible element to it in the sixth Ali dramatically slows and Frazier lands a huge oh. hook followed by an even better body shot. And the body work is just oof. Yeah. And as you're going to see in all of these, all of these rounds, these 41 rounds, if Ali is against the ropes or in the corner, he is losing rounds. He, he full credit to him for surviving what Joe is doing to him, but he's never, he's never there because he wants to be there. It's never a choice. Again, it's yeah. not foreman. This will yeah, work. We're, we're programmed because we're thinking he's on the ropes. He's doing something, but no, he's getting beaten up there. He's getting beaten up. He's getting beaten up. So I thought the six was a really clear round for Frazier. And, and again, I, I'm just thinking from Ali's perspective, I don't want to be against the ropes or in the corner because that's exactly where this guy wants me, but I don't know how to turn him. I don't have enough energy. I'm worried if I do something dramatic that I could get even more gas than I am. This is not going to plan kind of was, the, was the feeling. So yeah, I thought sixth round, Frazier, Frazier takes it pretty easily. And seventh round, Ali looks even more sluggish. He's barely moving. He's sort of pawing at Frazier. Yeah, he's and, doing the measuring. He's leaving his glove there and, you know. And while it's a close round, Ali is struggling to not lose it. I still thought Frazier took it with his body shots um, because he's just seeing the dividends that the body shots are paying. So Frazier is beginning to take over at this point going into the eighth. Yeah, uh, round six and seven, I noted that Ali's offense had dipped considerably, although there are spurts in round seven where he starts kind of lashing out and trying to kind of seize back the momentum. The problem is that, again, you know, Frazier's not stopping and Ali's going to the ropes. And then I noted also at the end of the seventh, there's a, a fun sequence where Ali's doing his, you know, yeah. type of shit. But the thing is, that doesn't score. You know, it looks great. It's fun. The crowd, woo! But... That's not scoring you points. And on the contrary, if you're not throwing back, you're just absorbing, you know, because some of it was landing is the thing. And again, the body shot, the body work, dude, you know, I said it the other night uh, with Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia as the fight was happening, didn't mean it as a slight to the commentators. I mean, just in general, body work goes unsung of, I don't know why. Because it's just, it's to me, it's dramatic. To me, when I'm seeing a guy just go thump, 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 thump on the other fighter's body and you can hear it, it's like, wow, that does damage. And that wears the fighter down over the long haul. And that's exactly what was happening here. Was And Ollie couldn't get away from it. He couldn't get away from the body work. He couldn't get away from the hook. His only recourse was to grab Frazier, was to clinch, you know? And so uh, I get it, you know, and you're, you're doing what you're being allowed to do or whatever, especially on, on Ali's part. But in terms of offensively scoring points back, seizing the fight back, there wasn't enough. There wasn't enough from Ali because Frazier was simply too relentless. So yeah, round six and seven definitely scored for Frazier. 
Um, and then I I noted uh, round eight, Fraser opened up with a body shot. <laughs> it's like it, it doesn't stop. It, it you know what a frightening prospect to be in against. You know, yeah. And and the eighth round has one of my favorite moments of the fight. It's just so uh, time just kind of stops where the crowd, all of Ali's supporters, start chanting his name. And you can see Ali's taking it. Ali becomes this extension of the nerve fibers of the crowd, which was a big thing about him, is he needed to be with people. This is the most like gregarious, extroverted person on the planet receiving it in his moment of crisis. And then there's Frazier at the other side, this kind of more introverted person, more far more humble kind of person and Frazier's response to the crowd trying to elevate this other guy is just pointing to the middle of the ring let's let's that's where this gets settled not there they can't help you I'm here and let's go there it's just I just love it I just just send shivers pointing to the ring to fight and Ali adopts this misguided but it's not misguided because I don't think he has any other option or he'd use it the robidoux and just takes punishment he looks worse in this round than i think any other in the fight to the point and, where the crowd's booing because he's yeah. sticking to the ropes and the crowd's like boo and it's like he's getting the shit kicked out of me all chill like, yeah damn so i mean at this point i have frazier ahead six rounds to two after after eight but again because it's ali mid-round joe gets ali's attention um and then just takes over and Ali goes into survival mode and you're just kind of like, Oh man, like maybe he's going to drop him at this point. Like if you don't know the, the, the yeah. result and then suddenly Ali comes back with this display, um, just mustering the best attack of the entire fight uh, to close out the round and Ali steals it. So it's, it becomes the best round of the fight. Like Ali just, there's no moment dramatically where you think it's, going right and he turns it left and and Ali takes I'm not saying he stole the round but like he just had a sense stole of the moment yeah. yeah and another fascinating thing about these these three fights is I don't remember th three minutes going quicker than the rounds in the in these fights where I'm just like was that three minutes it felt and these like these are heavyweights and they're heavyweights and but they felt like they were two minute two minute rounds for some reason. And I don't know, is that necessarily the action, the drama, the tension? It's, it's really interesting. Like, is it what's happening or what's not happening or what's about to happen that starts bending time the way that these fights um, relate, relate to it is, is interesting. So Ali takes the ninth and, and for me, where it's six, three Frazier. Yeah, there's there's actually uh, one of my favorite uh, moments in round eight. I thought Frazier took it, but Ali, toward the end of the round, started kind of rallying a little bit and trying to get the crowd back to him. But one of my favorite moments, just because it was such a funny thing, is Ali's going like this against the ropes and kind of just going like, come on, you know, come on in. And Frazier takes his gloves and grabs Ali's arms and pulls him off the ropes. And then swings him around and pushes him back to the other part, to the other side of the ring against the ropes. And for a second, I'm thinking, so why would you even do that? It's just a waste of energy to, but no, because you're just saying like, bitch, I'm taking you over here because I want to take you over here because I can. 
why not? I'm going to whoop your ass over here now. And so, and so it was like just such a psychological ploy, you know what I mean? Even if, even if that's not how he meant it in the moment, right. just in the moment, like he was just like, fuck this, you know, pull him off the ropes, you know, whatever it was, it worked. And, you know, it, and I noted at the end of the eighth round, Ali's starting to show world-class chin because he was taking some fucking lumps. And yep. then sure enough, like you said, Ali in round nine, uh, he starts jabbing and all of a sudden Frazier having to do the bobbing thing again because for rounds and rounds and rounds at a time, Ollie was doing nothing to prevent him from walking directly in the front door, doing nothing. And so Frazier was, he was taking that opportunity. And then all of a sudden, Ollie starts opening up with jabs and right hands in round nine and Frazier's having to bob and kind of trying to avoid again. And Ollie did a really great job of stealing some momentum back in round nine because he needed it. He needed it real bad. Uh, there was one round earlier you scored for Ollie that I had for Frazier. So you had six, three through nine. I had a seven, two. So I'm looking at it like, bro. <laughs> You need to get busy here, bro. You know, and, and he did thankfully, because he started showing like, all right, he's not out. He's not, he was looking like he was sliding real quick, but finally he's starting to show, okay, there's some life in the old boy. Yeah. And we come to the, the 10th, I thought Frazier, this, this demonstrate the tenor of the whole fight. Like this is microcosm. If the fight's in the center of the ring, Ali probably closely is going to win. The moment things move toward the ropes or a corner, Frazier is going to win every single time. And that's that's this round. But it was this round evenly where I had to score it even. And I hate scoring even <laughs> for any round. But I just thought it was just the perfect tension of them trying to dominate the other and not being able, neither of them being successful in it in this round. So 10th round even for me. 11th. Uh, and this is interesting because Ali slips after a hook uh, that Joe lands. Doesn't land it. It's not a great hook that lands. Good hook, but it looked to me pretty clearly like Joe stepped on his foot after the hook landed, which is why he he fell over. The referee wiped it, waved it off. Frazier later on would look back on this and say, like, yeah, what did he slip on? He slipped on my hook. I, I don't agree. I, I don't see, uh, to me, it looked pretty clearly like he stepped on his foot. It's not filmed great. You don't get a, a really clear sense, like it's a little too close. Um, but any any kind of controversy about that, I don't I don't see it. It looked abundantly. I didn't know what I mean. Allie looks tired. Frazier keeps trapping him in the corner, doing damage. And mid-round, I thought, nearly dropped him with a hook and a body shot. It's it's a tremendous shot, like two of the best oh, shots yeah. that lands. Um, and I thought the ropes kept him up. Like the controversy of the round for me is if Ali hadn't been able to lean back against the ropes, I I think he goes down. Um, yeah, he kind of fell into the ropes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he kind of bounced one way and then bounced the other. But if the ropes were not there, he's going on his ass. So it's not, it's nowhere near the drama of the iconic knockdown that's going to happen. But but it's, it should have been scored a knockdown. Yeah. Pretty pretty clearly, I thought. And Ali just looks in desperate trouble. So clear Frazier round for me. And then just to jump one more ahead is just Frazier just keeps pouring it on. This time really focusing on the body attack 
and throwing as many hooks as he possibly can, but it's just Frazier, 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 and going into the 13th, I think he's up eight rounds to three with one even. Yeah, I, I scored the 10th for Ali because uh, I noted toward the end of the round, Frazier was kind of walking into when they were exchanging Frazier, you know, he's just not as quick, not as straight and was walking into some of the punches started kind of looking the worst for wear. But then it was like it bounced right back because Frazier winds up hurting Ali in the 11th. I thought that that I didn't score at 10, eight, but I wouldn't be shocked if somebody yeah. did. He yeah. got hurt. He got hurt real bad. Um, and so that was exactly what Frazier needed as Ali was starting to kind of steal some, some of the momentum, um, and Frazier hurts Ali and then boom swing, uh, you know, kind of back the other way again in round 12, I thought, uh, you know, Frazier goes right at Ali, Ali's clinching, but Ali kind of starts digging himself. You know, this is in these rounds is where he starts digging down deep where it becomes, in my opinion, apparent, like you said earlier, that he's not quite as skilled as the myth seems to suggest he is. He's not as quick, especially at this point in his career, as the myth suggests he is. And he's taking shots, but he's having to dig deep. I gave the 12th to Ali, but I thought it was a really close round. Frazier did well early. Ali did really well late. Um, And so, yeah, going into the 13th, gosh, uh, I guess I'd have it... I think I scored three rounds for Ali. So that would be God. Yeah. Nine to three. So yeah, he's got a, he's got quite the, quite the hole for himself on my scorecards. Uh, but unfortunately it's, it starts kind of just sliding and he's like I said, digging deep, but there's nowhere for him to go. You know, the walls are still caving in, unfortunately, good jabs from Ali early on in the 13th. I said, but Fraser will not quit to the body. Uh, Fraser's left eye starting to actually look a little bit, little swollen from some of the right hands. So evidently, some of these shots are getting through from Ali. You know, it's a lot of them are not super hard. They're kind of whipping shots. He's not stepping into them, but they are getting in. Um, however, Fraser just going to work as Ali sits in the corner. Fraser takes over the round later in the round, and I thought that was a pretty clear Fraser round. Yeah, thirteenth. Ali, you can tell how tired he is, but he's doing everything he can to mount a comeback. He's on his way to doing it, except these body shots keep landing that I think turn it around. They're vicious, and there's a tremendously exciting late-round flurry that both of the guys exchange, but Frazier's clearly coming on. And it's just a point to highlight, because we haven't mentioned it yet, but Burt Lancaster was the celebrity announcer for this fight. Burt Lancaster, who I think I was introduced to in Field of Dreams, being like the old Moonlight Graham that Kevin Cosner goes to visit in Chisholm, Minnesota. I have to say that Burt Lan- I mean, I have a lot of announcers that I just fucking can't stand, but Burt Lancaster must be the worst announcer that I've ever heard call a fight. There is no cliche that he doesn't turn over. It doesn't matter what he's watching, particularly. But he is the least illuminating announcer. He's like the last person you'd ever invite to watch a fight you were excited to see, which is, I, to me, the best criteria of why we want an announcer to join us is, is like, wouldn't it be fun to watch it with this guy? It would not be fun to watch a fight with Burt Lancaster. He clearly knows nothing yeah, about Evidently boxing. not. I don't enjoy him referring to the guys as boys. Just don't do that. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to virtue signal, but like, just they're 30 years old. Don't call them boys. It just, it just annoys me every time. It seems especially strange given the time period too. It's like, yeah, just don't. 
Just don't. Um, yeah, not my favorite. No. And 14th round, uh, I mean, I thought I gave the 13th to Ali, even though I can totally see how you gave it to Frazier. I don't know if I'm trying to give it to Ali because it's like, fuck, this score is just getting overwhelming for, for Frazier. 14th, Frazier, reckless pressure at this point. Like, he wants to knock out his guy. Like, oh, I don't care if I've got a lead. Reckless, even bordering on sloppy. Yeah. But it is still exciting as fuck. And and yet I thought Ali was still able to, to do enough to take mm-hmm. it. So, I mean... Mm-hmm. It's getting a little closer, eight, five, and one. Going yeah, Ali's digging, dude. He's he's really digging in some of these rounds. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. So, uh, I mean, let's hear your fifteenth round. <laughs> I'll give you mine, man. You know, I thought Ali took the fourteenth too, and just imagining, trying my best to imagine. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm thinking, wow, you know, Ali took the 14th. What can he do here in the 15th? Uh, you know, he's he's got he's gotten far more momentum in these later rounds than I thought he, you know, a couple rounds ago that I thought he could have. Because yeah. a couple rounds ago, he looked fucking done. You know, he's just sitting on the ropes. Now he's digging deep. He's throwing combinations. Gets up on his toes in round 15. And I'm thinking, wow, 15th round, he's up on his toes. Oh. Okay, <laughs> it just absolutely, you know, moments into the round, it's just fucking flattened, bro. You know, just one of the most dramatic knockdowns you can imagine. Uh, almost looks fake. Almost doesn't even look real. Because Fraser's just coils up like some weird snake and just pop. And the way that Ali catches it, he doesn't even see it almost. And he just takes every bit of it. In to the point where almost neither guy is like on the canvas when it lands. Like Ali's kind of up and moving away from it. Fraser's off his feet. It's amazing. Like it's honestly amazing. But then not only that, Ali gets up. Like it's clearly he gets hit, his jaws swollen, but he just gets up and he's kind of got this look on his face like back to work. Jesus Christ. Inhuman. Yeah. I mean, I was just looking it up. How many times was Ali ever knocked down as a pro? It's four times. Yeah, Doug Jones, uh, Henry Cooper. Uh, gosh, that dude earlier on in his career, I can't remember his name. But it, well, anyway, yeah, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot. <laughs> well, and this was the first time, and so this is the first time that his pride and his ego uh, had to confront that. And and how did Ali confront it? By getting up at three from a, a shot that probably would have knocked out anybody else. That that's what Joe Frazier did. If he hit you with that shot cleanly, that that's what he expected. And in I, round 15. And in round 15. Uh, and in round 15, he uncorks that kind of shot. And it's interesting because if you go back and you look at Henry Cooper knocking him down, um, if if Angelo hadn't cheated by fucking around with his glove to prolong the delay to let Ali recover, how would we look at Ali if he had been knocked out early in his career to Henry Henry Cooper in that situation? But the amount of damage that he sustained from that shot, Cooper is nowhere near the puncher that Joe Frazier is. And yet when the situation calls upon it, 
This is how Ali responds by getting up at three. It's just, it's just really amazing because you're like, as awe-inspiring a knockout as it is, him getting up is more inspiring. This is what Sylvester Stallone invents in a script for himself. And we're still often moved to tears just watching the determination. It's all bullshit, right? This is real. That's how it's right there. There's no slow motion. There's no nothing. He just gets up. He just, he just, he jumps up. He jumps up at that moment when he confronts who he is. His worst nightmare of what's happening is this moment. He's losing. (laughs) I don't have an answer for this. And finally, the guy has caught me with what he's been threatening to catch me with the whole time. And what do I do? I jump right back up and I fight even harder. So this is the other side of the Ali thing is that why I feel so strongly about turning him into this godlike thing is you miss the humanity of the person at its most extreme. Yeah, if if he's a hero, then who gives a shit if he gets up? Right. You know, if, if he's just a hero, then that's what they're supposed to do. That's it. Is it's the difference between turning Ali into Achilles when he's also Odysseus too. He's also able to find solutions to problems that nobody else would be able to find in that much pressure. It's not just that he's some demigod that can just mow down everybody because he's divine. Yeah, he did have incredible physical assets, but it's it's far more exciting seeing somebody human be able to do things like jump back up because I don't know, you can relate to it more than just blinding speed is you can just think, boy, a lot less problems in my life have resulted in me taking a year to recover from that girl dumping me or losing that job or fucking up that conversation or whatever. Uh, it's just a side to Ali that is just spectacular because I think it's it's more memorable to me him getting up than even Frazier landing it. And nothing should be more iconic than Frazier landing that that punch. And... Ali just opens up at the end of the round, even though Frazier closes it out. But you can just see Ali. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot left. You know, he doesn't have a lot left, but he's not going to quit until he's dead. That's what that's what you see is a guy who'd never been knocked down before. This is what was there, and you got to see it. And it's an it's an element of I think with Floyd Mayweather, where as great as Floyd was. We don't revisit the fights because we didn't see him tested in that same way. We saw it a few times, like uh, Shane Mosley, and he showed all the greatness that he did in recovering from that. But you wish there were more moments like that dramatically because Floyd's fights weren't dramatic, which you can give him credit for. But the other part of you with Ali is you just think there's something about him, unlike a Tyson, who was so often the underdog. That is why we return to these fights as classics in a way that we don't as much with Tyson and with other people that were heavily favored and lived up to being heavily favored. Um, Ali seemed vulnerable. And that vulnerability is like why we love characters in movies who are vulnerable as opposed to superheroes, even though I know people love superheroes. I am not one of them, but one of the great, one of the great rounds in the history of boxing, that 15th for a number of different reasons, but still gave it to Frazier handily and ended the fight nine, five, nine rounds to five with one even. And um, the judges scored the fight nine, six for Frazier, 11, four and eight, six and one even. So overall pretty dominant for Frazier, I thought, 
even though Ali never admitted to losing, um, vehemently fought fought that assessment of this fight, as did Angelo D Dundee. I, I don't see where they would come, come away from that uh, based on watching the fight in its entirety and um, and just what Frazier was able to do. It was just spectacular, as was for Ali, what he was able to do too. But not what people expected would happen in, in this outcome. I thought it was a very clear outcome. I agree. And Ali also got worked over something pretty awful in the last 15 seconds or so of the fight. Had it gone much longer, he would have been stopped. I have absolutely no question about that. His jaw it, was huge. He was, huge. He was fucked up, man. He got yeah. fucked up real bad. And as bravely as he fought back, and I'm not downplaying it whatsoever, but just in terms of you know looking at it, I noted that his offense was feeble in the last 30 seconds because he was trying his ass off. It was just, there was nothing. It was nothing to it. And Frazier knew it. And Frazier was just working him over. And, you know, clear 10-8 round, uh, just an absolute ass kicking in that round. But the fact that, again, the fact that Ali took it, got up, fought back, lasted to the end, even in and of itself, its own, you know, uh, marathon and its own emotional uh, journey and whatnot, um, you know, 10-5 in rounds for Frazier, for me, on my card, with at least one 10-8 round, possibly two, like I had said earlier, because he hurt Ali so badly in that round, whatever it was, eight or nine. Um, and just kind of like an overall note, I said that Ali got started far too late, uh, well, far too late in the fight. You know, he gave away too many early rounds, uh, fought too flat-footed, basically fought Joe Frazier's fight. Uh, Frazier absorbed some fairly hard punches and also showed how tough he was in continuing to push forward, never stopping, and just an absolutely legendary chin from Ali throughout the fight, and especially in the 15th. Um, obviously, we know how that ended up, and the chin did not serve him later on in life, but Jesus Christ, as a fighter, it did. Yeah, and we, you know... The anticipation after this fight is is going into the second one, where January 28, 1974, uh, their weight changes a little bit. I think Ali lost a bit of weight. Let me just see what he weighed for the first one. So Ali was 215, gets down to 212. Frazier gains four pounds. Sounds small, but... You know, Ali. Well, looked, when you're like 5'10, 5'11, you know what I mean? It doesn't take a lot. Well, and it, it just as an indicator, you know, of of how did Frazier go into this fight? What did he, what did he think? Like, no, oh, right. and a lot's happened in the meanwhile. Lots happened in the meanwhile. And uh Ali just looks like a different person. Like, I mean, Ali just looks like yeah. he's gone back in time to that perfect beautiful it's a different fight yeah physique. yeah it, different physique and the physique is indicative of, of him being a different fighter and frazier is still frazier like frazier is not different but they have a different referee that is going to huge famous narrative for this fight is that ali was just endlessly clinching just just pot shot and clinching pot shot yeah. and putting a lot of hand behind the neck thing and I didn't find there to be as much of that as, as I thought there would be. But the fact that the referee didn't warn them once was something that Eddie Futch, I think, pointed out there were like 330 times where this happened, uh, which, which I agree with. They should. They, and in the third fight, the referee does warn him about it. And, and you can see that it changes Ali's approach to it. He still does it, but he does it less. 
than he does it here. And for somebody like Frazier, um, that's illegal. It, it, it is a disadvantage that should not be permitted. Um, so how much does it yeah. affect the fight? It affects it. I don't think it, it... Yeah, I don't think it was a determining factor, but it did affect it. It did. So coming into this fight, Frazier, after the first one, was hospitalized for a month after the first one. Ali never admitted defeat, and Frazier loses 22 months later against Foreman in one of the most spectacular destructions. Uh, he was favored going into that fight. That's another important thing that people need to realize is Foreman, despite all of this evidence... He beat of Ali, so he's got to yeah. be unbeatable, you know? like Right, but... Jesus, knocked down six times. Uh, and Ali also splits two fights against Norton where he looks terrible. Terrible. Right. We we went over those fights. A lot of fun, uh, but just, a, just not a good style and got beaten up real good in the first fight. Not a good style matchup for Ali. No. I mean, if, if you just think Ali is the greatest thing that has ever happened to the heavyweight division, watch those Nor Norton fights. And tell me that Lennox Lewis, in every possible category of being a fighter, isn't an, an advanced model to Norton. And that Ali is just going to, oh, yeah, I'll just figure this out in a way that I was totally incapable of with Norton. I don't see it. I just, I, I mean, yeah, okay, styles make fights. and But I, I don't, I don't, it is a really interesting litmus test to some of the limitations of Ali. I think this is also true of Tyson fighting tall guys with reach who could jab. He had problems yep. with forever, forever. I don't think there's ever a situation where he's fighting Lennox Lewis where he's not going to get knocked out or have massive problems. Still, it would be a different fight than it was the, when they fought, but nonetheless. Um, and from the get-go of this fight, not just the refereeing, but this is a totally different Ali Ali is dancing from the get-go. He looks in way better condition, way more confident. And he is also throwing a totally different selection of punches. They are sweeping punches, which are infinitely more effective at catching Frazier as he's coming in, where Frazier's at this, yep. you know, general, you know, sort of like a like a pitcher solving. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost like fishing. You know what I'm saying? Like if you just dip the fucking net into the water, you ain't going to catch shit. But if you sweep it, you know, you might catch some shit. Yeah. And, and it is, it's way more effective at catching Frazier. Joe looks slower. I thought he looks more predictable. I think the foreman fight had some impact, you know, getting, I mean, that was just a wrecking ball bashing into him six times to knock him down. And um, he's kept off in a way that he wasn't in the first fight. Ali looks more powerful too. Like, like what's behind the punches. You can see it's not just they're fast, but they're, he's willing to commit to them a little bit more. And Ali's condition, you can see Joe recognizes it. I'm not fighting the same guy. And I don't know that I'm the same guy here. So it, it establishes a certain mood to the fight where you just go, and a lot of people dismiss the second yeah. fight being interesting. I think it's a very interesting fight. Oh, yeah. A lot of people say, oh, it was shitty. It was boring. I didn't think it was that boring at all. No, I didn't either. But I thought Ali really clear first round. And you, it, it's a really good indicator of where the fight's going to go in that, you know, Joe, Joe doesn't have a plan B. And, and not that he often needed one, 
But uh, I don't know that what he's bringing can stop this version of Ali. And, and that's a real credit to Ali coming back from this devastating loss and being knocked down and, you know, knowing that you're vulnerable in, in these different multifaceted ways. What does he do? He comes back even better and he's mentally tougher and he's physically tougher. So he, it's, it's the greatness of Ali. And also on top of that, there's an extra little element there too, where Joe Frazier comes from the exact same camp as Ken Norton. And so now there's this pre-fight narrative, even though Ali's favored, there's this pre-fight narrative though, that like, well, wait a second, because Frazier already handled Ali and Ali had a hell of a time against Norton, who many people thought, you know, uh, even though I felt Ali won the second fight and had the best, easiest time in their second fight, many people thought Ali should have lost the second fight against Norton too. And, and, you know, so a lot of people were like, oh, does Eddie Futch kind of hold the key here? You know, do, is there some sort of tactical or stylistic thing going on? And so many people were still kind of like, ah, I think Frazier's going to get him, um, you know, just based on that kind of styles make fights thing. But I think you you nailed it, dude. Um, Ali is up on his feet. You can hear Bundini, you know, Drew Bundini Brown from the corner on a dime champ on a dime on a dime champ tell him to turn you know use his feet and then you can hear angelo from the corner too shouting shit um and then joe just looks sluggish very flat-footed not that he's ever really you know up on his toes but really slow uh having a difficult time catching up to ali and then on top of that you know in the first fight like he's just roaring at him like he's just coming right out i'm like whatever punch at me don't punch at me i'm coming inside and in this one it's kind of like he's waiting He's just like, all right, let me figure my way inside. Let me find a way in or something like that. And it's like, but you don't need to find it. You just go in, you know, <laughs> you're Joe Frazier. Just fucking go in. And in this in this second fight throughout most of the fight, it's like he's sitting there trying to go like, all right, how, how do I get in there? How do I, what do I need to do? And the entire time, Ollie's just a, a mixture of stymieing any of Frazier's offense with clinching admittedly and also those sweeping shots those kind of like pop 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 you know let me throw a couple one twos and then sweep the hooks and uppercuts and they wind up catching Frazier you know not huge Ali's not like beating the crap out of him but he's scoring points and that first round's a really great example of you know setting the tenor setting the mood or whatever so clear Ali round Frazier's trying to chase Ali down in the second round but again just a step behind that winds up being kind of the theme. He's a step behind Ali and just cannot get up to him. Um, the second round, I thought, was just mostly a repeat of the first round. But Ali's starting to kind of work his right hand in a little bit, too. Whereas, And, oh, actually, something I forgot to mention in the first fight was Ali had been having issues with his right hand going into the first fight. Like, a lot of issues. He had some sort of knuckle issue you know, bursitis or something like that. And so he didn't throw his right hand in the, in the first fight nearly as much as a lot of people were expecting. And in the second fight, he got his right hand working pretty early. And I, I don't know if the two were connected, but clearly Ali was on something else. And Joe Frazier was just not up to snuff here. Yeah. And, and in the second round also, I mean, this is interesting dramatically because it's like we're in round 17 of these two guys is, Joe lands a big hook in the second round. I mean, Ali's movement is so improved, sticking and moving, when when he's punching, how he's punching. I mean, this is a clinic, this, this whole fight of being able to punch as you go backwards. 
it's a it's a tremendously difficult skill to to learn to how to effectively deal with an aggressor by mo moving to different angles as you're going backwards and just keeping them off balance and Ali does it magnificently it's so hard to do uh but Joe does get through with a big hook mm -hmm. Ali comes right back yeah he takes it even better than the first fight you know he, like he, he absorbs it he does. And then he lands a huge right hand, which clearly stuns Joe. Joe's caught right on the tip of the chin. He's kind of caught at an angle because Ali is, is not just going backwards, but he's shifting slightly these angles where if you're coming forward, you don't know which direction he's going to go. And at this point, it gets capitalized upon by Ali. And as he tries to close out the round and knock Joe, Joe out, um, the referee thinks that he heard hears the the bell and jumps in and this is i think 15 seconds before the end of the round so he jumps in there prematurely and stops the fight the announcers are saying did the bell go like i didn't hear the bell and then after this confusion the referee allows them to go forward joe has has regained his composure and the the round concludes but it's it's such a weird moment and and it's one of the worst things a referee can do is be indecisive and it's like yeah. if you're gonna end the fucking round end the round don't end it and then go wow whoa 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 go ahead and then ali lands another right hand and it's like what the fuck are you doing bro what are you doing yeah <laughs> it, it's a really strange moment and it's clearly not a not a referee that's on joe's side given that he's allowing ali to do all this glinching and hand behind the neck thing but right ali, yeah it's not ali. some conspiracy it was just a no. fuck up just a total fuck up and then a fuck up at a, at a really inopportune time, you know, pivotal moment potentially in that fight for, you know, who knows what Ali could have landed in those last like 15, 20 seconds. It, it's, it's an interesting one to, to you know, what if, uh, but Ali way up 2-0, I mean, dominating and third round stays the same. The tenor is established. Frazier is coming on, you know, slow starter, but He's amping up, but Ali's movement and activity is just so much that these hooks and uppercuts as a new weapon, Joe doesn't know what to do to answer it. And his condition is not such that he can impose his will against Ali. Ali is controlling what's happening. He's controlling distance in a really fantastic and dangerous way for Joe. Joe is tasting a lot more leather and it's coming at him faster and more plentifully and more powerfully than anything he's faced from Ali up to that point. So, I mean, I think I, I think I go with Ali all the way. I mean, even fourth round, fifth round, I think I had even, but, um, but Ali is just taking over this thing in a way that he's not going to really relinquish particularly i mean i thought in the fifth that that frazier finally scored big um with a couple of shots on the chin that again just demonstrated ali ali's amazing resilience but um but yeah just just the tenor of the fight is just ali controlling yeah especially mid-range and mm -hmm. uh and he's bouncing he's bouncing yeah. and landing and the geography, he's utilizing the geography um, of the ring in a way that Joe just does not have an answer for. So, yeah. yeah. 
Ali really turned like what you said earlier, the the idea of Frazier being relentless and never stopping coming at you. You've really, he's really turned that against him in this fight. And Frazier's just doing far too much following. Can't quite catch up. I didn't give Frazier a round until the seventh. I thought that Ali swept the first six rounds. Uh, and I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't have anything against scoring even rounds. I just don't score them that often. Wouldn't mind there being an even round here or there, but Ali was clearly leading Frazier around and just Frazier just couldn't get uncorked. He couldn't get any sort of momentum going. The, the combination of him looking a little more flat, Ali looking less flat and the referee allowing a lot more control, physical control from Ali uh, was really sapping Frazier and he just could not get much going. Um, finally in the seventh round, I noticed that, uh, Frazier finally got in there and started landing some hooks. Like he finally got in there, landed some body work, got Ali to the ropes, uh, landed some hooks. Um, Ali started fighting off of the ropes and Frazier was way slower to the trigger than in the first fight. Noticeably, uh, that being said, Frazier was, uh, Frazier, I thought outworked Ali a little bit in that round because Ali's production kind of dipped in round seven so it was almost even a case of ali not what ali wasn't doing so much more than kind of fraser doing because fraser wasn't really doling out punishment like in the other fights absolutely true i mean i mean this one is kind of a quicker fight to go through in many respects than the first and the third my notes were pretty short for this one yeah yeah i mean it's as you said it's an engaging fight it's certainly not thrilling um by the by the sixth round Frazier is pressing but his right hand is invisible and still not in any way attempting to find a new angle to try to overcome Ali's new ability to get out of the way um because his footwork is his defense and he, and he's able to sort of stay more in the center of the ring than he certainly ever was in the first one um and Ali's jab is just back. The way he's just able to, his step step and jab is just, I mean, probably the best to ever do it, him or Larry Holmes, maybe. But it's its really beautiful to watch. And Joe just looks like he's plotting. I mean, Joe, Joe has kind of a weird pace to how he comes in, but its he's not what anybody I think would call quick. It's, it's just uh, workmanlike how he's sort of plotting in there. Um, in the seventh, I thought Frazier landed his best hook and then another shot to the body, but he's just mauling and finally was able to get Ali against the ropes. So he won the first round for me mm-hmm. in the seventh. And I thought he won the eighth. Again, these are close. Me I think too, yeah. Desperately trying to give Frazier <laughs> yeah. some rounds. Um, he, he, I actually thought he kind of stunned uh, Ali at the end of the eighth with, believe it or not, a right hand. He landed a sweeping huh. right hand that kind of just for a second, Ali was like, whoa, and held on. And I was like, whoa, he got it with a right. Yeah, I mean, in the eighth, I mean, Frazier, Frazier's getting to a point in this fight where he's thinking the the calculus, you can see him wondering what the calculus is. How many plunges do I have to eat to land anything? And by the eighth, it's about four to one. Yeah. So you, you see him and, and they're again, they're sharp punches. These are these are not these are going to have imposed damage. You're not going to drop him, but it is going to be more like death of a thousand paper cuts or something like that. They're, they're they are going to accumulate. 
So Joe, Joe does manage to get Allie against the ropes and opens up with his body attack. And when he can, a big hook. And you see Allie looking weary and stiff. And then Frazier, as you say, lands a big right at the end of the round. So I, I've given him two rounds. And then Allie just turns it right back around. And and in the ninth, yeah. the flurries start coming. Mm-hmm. And um, some really good one twos. He's just one two, one two, one two, one two for much of that round. Yeah. Yeah. And he's also getting a sense of the balance of keeping the fight off the ropes, throwing much more effectively, and then when to clinch in a way that it's like, ah, I found the solution. With this referee, where I'm never going to get worn doing it, why would I stop doing this? This is just like a shake and bake formula. That's going to, that's going to work again and again and again. And the guy in front of me doesn't have any other game plan. So, so that takes us to the 10th. Yeah. I, I thought Frazier took that round, but not because of really, he did anything that great. It almost looked to me like Ali was kind of taking the round off. I don't know if he was resting or what he was doing, but he kind of just stopped punching, clinched a lot. And Fraser worked through the clinches, but wasn't really landing a ton himself. He just worked a little better, I thought. Yeah, and and in the tenth, Fraser is able to come up with something. Uh, Ali is totally outlanding him. He's not able to to compete in that area in terms of output. But Fraser does what Fraser does, which is finally corners Ali and crashes a hook that seems to stun Ali in this round. Um, Ali's on the ropes. And Frazier lands another another nice hook to the body. So I, I think that's the last round that I gave Frazier in the yep. fight. Me too. And I mean, 11th, 11th and 12th, um, Frazier comes out fast, lands first, ends the series with another hook, doing everything he can to corner Ali. But Ali is just able to open up flurries while backing up. Uh, I mean, just from what I could just see in real time, it feels like he's landing about 60% of the punches of those flurries. That's just way too high, way too high. If you're Frazier, if, if, if this is, if this is what you're yeah. going to the firepower, you're going to take coming forward. You're never going to be balanced in order to land anything of significance. And Ali is just getting more and more comfortable doing it. He's, he's like establishing a clear pattern that, that, Frazier doesn't know what to do with. And um, yeah, that gets us to the last round. So how did you see it? Uh, Same as you. I scored the last two for Ali. Um, I said Ali was shoe shining a bit, but Frazier was missing in close and he's just not landing much clean. Uh, And he's trying to get his arms, you know, free and close, but he just can't, there's no, he can't get any rhythm going. He never really got much going uh, during the fight. Frazier's, that was Frazier's big issue. He never got much momentum. He never really got, uh, he never really looked at a point like he wasn't flat-footed and kind of just flat overall. And Ali took advantage. And so I scored the 12th for Ali as well. Ali even did a little uh, clowning and an Ali shuffle in the last like 30 seconds. I was like, all right, all right. You know, so it, it definitely looked a lot closer to what our minds imagine Ali being in that 12th round, you know? So I scored it nine, three for Ali fairly dominant. And especially because the rounds that Frazier won, I mean, they weren't even 
super emphatic rounds, in my opinion. Uh, Fraser celebrated after the bell for what I have absolutely no idea. Um, <laughs> he looked not good. But uh, Ali obviously fought far more on his toes, built an early lead. And to be fair, he was allowed to clinch, uh, I would say, at key moments. Not so much excessively, but he really prevented Frazier from getting going. And that was part of it. Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought the same. I mean, going into the 12th round, Ali is consistently in retreat, but he's able to turn as he's retreating and just keep Frazier off. Frazier is able to land the occasional big hook uh, when he's able to get Ali in a corner or against the ropes or some body shots. But Ali's footwork backing up and firing, which again, like you can watch and be like, oh, well, anybody could do that. It's really, really hard to do that effectively, to, to not be off balance going backwards. That's why everybody is telling you not to go backwards. Especially with the threat of a knockout punch coming your way, you know? Yeah, because the easiest way to go in boxing is always forward. To bring to bring your weight and balance forward is always the easiest. You're always at more risk losing it going backwards more than any other direction. So Ali, uh, for, for such a big man, just has such balance and poise. And, um, and Joe sneaks a right hand that sort of quiets a final flurry of Ali, but... This is a very decisive win for Ali. I mean, I had it seven, seven rounds Ali, three Frazier, and two even. I even feel like the two even is sort of probably too much. Probably they were Ali rounds. Uh, the judges scoring the fight had it 7-4, one even, 8-4, uh, and then a bizarre one, 6-5 and one even. I don't know what the fuck they were watching. Yeah, no. My apologies for the abrupt ending to uh, this part of the Ali Frazier trilogy episode. It's a really long episode, a three-hour episode, and I wasn't really certain how to split it up, but we're going to split it up here, and then part two episode is going to be the Thrill in Manila. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you sat through this, thank you so much. Please get prepped for the next one. Uh, if you do listen to the podcast on the podcast apps, please go ahead and subscribe, leave us a rating, a comment. Those things are helpful. I think bump us up the ratings and the podcast lists and whatnot. If you watched the podcast, though, on YouTube, also subscribe, leave a reply. We'll try to respond to those things in time, I promise. But <laughs> that being said, thank you again. And uh, as far as social media goes, the Knuckles and Gloves podcast is on social media like Facebook and Instagram. We're also on Twitter for the time being. So go ahead and follow us there. We're individually there as well. So if you would follow my buddy Bryn from this show at Brinicio, B-R-I-N-I-C-I-O, follow me, Patrick Connor at Patrick M. Connor, or if you're on Instagram as P. Connor Beard. See you guys there. See you on the next episode. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.